with Kuzma on him, rises up, and the three is good! It's Kyle's night! Kyle Lowry with a big-time bucket! There's going to be some bad dreams in the bubble for Kyle Kuzma tonight. Shot clock down to three. Fred Van Vliet matches his career best. Look at this, lining up Andre Iguodala. New career best for Van Vliet, 35. Think of Fred as just jacking it up all game, do you? It just comes in the flow. He just plays the game the right way. What's up, everybody? It's another edition of Free Association on Sportsnet.ca and the Sportsnet Podcast Network. We have games. We're going to talk about games today. Real games have been happening since the last time we are here. And you know what? Here's my first thing that I'm going to say because we're recording this right after the Heat-Raptors game. I'm just so happy that the Miami Heat didn't hurt somebody. Like, is there anything more important on this podcast that we can say than that? Um, no, I suppose not. Um, and I, I thought it was a great test. Like, I think the Heat are pretty real. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see these teams playing deep into the playoffs. But um, yes, it is good that the Raptors are still fully healthy. Yeah, there was a moment there where Kelly Olynyk raked uh, Kyle Lowry's face and the master of... Cheap shots in the NBA. A guy who I think sneakily is public enemy number one when it comes to Raptors fans, unless you count LeBron James and just winning through greatness, who's Goran Dragic with the trip. So there was a couple moments, and I thought, okay, this game's going to get a little out of hand, get these guys out of here, but the Raptors win. They're 2-0 and through the bubble so far. Uh, we're recording this Monday. Well, actually, I think it's going to be up on Monday. So, yeah, we're recording this today right after the game. Uh, where do you want to begin? Because I actually, I think there's a lot to discuss with this team. I'll just say, I think that they've looked sharper than any other team in the bubble through two. I, I think that the Raptors have come here with a sense of purpose. It's something that you and I talked about leading into this tournament that, uh, has been reinforced by multiple people that this is a business trip, that they are focused, that they know the task at hand, that they've been looking forward to this for some time, that they were the first team into the bubble and they look like a team who wants to be the last to leave. So to me, the bubble is like the NCAA tournament, except there are no like traveling fan bases, but you're basically kind of playing a game every other day. You're playing games at random times. You could be an East coast team playing late at night or any team playing in the middle of the day. Uh, you're not really having that much time to prep in between games and who you're playing. And, like, what teams do we know go far in the NCAA tournament? Teams with great guard play. And teams with a good bench, some depth. And teams that can guard and defend. And the Raptors basically are Villanova. And Kyle Lowry is playing the part of Kyle Lowry, Philly guard from Villanova. And, and I, to me, that's my biggest takeaway. And looking at the basketball, how sloppy it's been at times, how intense it's been at times, and how much good defense, not just by the Raptors, but across the league, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is kind of like if we asked NBA players to play NCAA-style basketball for the next couple months. And I think the Raptors are the best suited to do it. And they've been led by their two All-American guards, if, if this was uh, the NCAA. I guess Fred would be All-Conference and Kyle would be All-American. They've been led by their two guards who got to the line, Got the team into the bonus, another big NCAA thing. 
and scored when they need to and really defended. I, I, I love the way this team is built for this weird experiment that is restart basketball. Yeah, we'll see how this holds up because I think that there's something to be said about the very beginning and the Raptors taking advantage of these teams. It's something that I've talked about at nauseum, just how a defensive team that's built like the Raptors that has uh, a lot of depth, and we'll talk about some of that depth so far because I think that I don't think that they've really even gotten that. Like, basically, this has been the starting five guys that have carried this team. Serge Ibaka didn't really do much today, nor did he in the Lakers game. And Norm Powell has, if there's anything to kind of, like, raise an eyebrow at, I would say that it's Norm's offense through the first two games of this bubble. And Terrence Davis, Ronnie Hollis, like, they just haven't had a guy step off off the bench. But I love that analogy. I think that that's really sharp where, yeah, you have a well-coached team who gets good guard play and has a couple of other players around them that can provide, yeah, defense and, and some some quick offense. I I think the basketball itself so far, they've been able to take advantage of that. That no fans and no real stakes, because let's be honest, we said the Raptors had the highest leverage thing to give up, which was that two seed, and even that has been diminished at that point, I think has resulted in a lot of teams not wanting to get hurt, a lot of teams playing very offensive basketball, taking a ton of threes, being pretty sloppy with the basketball, and then not exactly digging in like it's the playoffs on defense. And I'm not mad about it because we have NBA basketball, and I assume that the the quality of play is going to go up and that there is going to be an acclimation period. It's no surprise to me that a mature group like the Toronto Raptors and a defensive group like the Toronto Raptors has been able to exploit that. I agree. I just don't agree that that's the case for the two teams that the Raptors have played. I think there's still reasons for the Lakers to play. They, they obviously, I mean, I guess not really because the number one overall seed, what does that mean? But but I think, um, you know, they're motivated with their new lineup to to play well, and they looked great uh, in their first game. And I, there's certainly reasons for the Heat to play because how murky the middle is in the East, even with just eight games, the seeding fluctuation is pretty, pretty serious. Not, again, for home court. But what their path might look like in terms of uh, going on a deep run, I, I think the Raptors, out of the three teams, have the least to play for because, as you say, Milwaukee is going to win. Uh, you know, the first overall seed, barring something unforeseen, and and it doesn't really matter if the Raptors are two and three because they're they're going to be on the same side of the bracket anyways. Um, I just I think they've played smartly even though the turnovers have been maddening to watch and and, and sloppy but they've made some great rotations uh defensively guys are making the extra pass you know turning down good shots for some great shots and more importantly when shots weren't falling which was the case for long stretches versus miami their two guards said okay fine we're, we're gonna create and we're just going to get to the rim and hope we finish but if we don't finish we're, we're certainly going to draw a foul and be able to set up our defense in the half court but more importantly put two more points on the board to to either hold the heat at bay or um just to to see the ball go in the net because there were some times especially to your point about the bench when when they're playing some bench units where the, the offense was a little clunky yeah the bench hasn't worked out so far but Two guys absolutely have through two games. And I know Fred stole the show today, and we'll probably end up talking about him a little bit, but I think that the two guys worth mentioning right off the top are Kyle Lowry and OG Ananobi. To me, they have been the two it Raptors. I guess I'll just ask you if you agree, and second of all, which one you want to start with the discussion on? 
Um, I mean, we can start with OG because I think this mm-hmm. discussion on there on him is pretty quick because we kind of had it for two weeks leading into the restart games starting. We felt like this is the guy who, in terms of an X factor, changes the ceiling for what this team is. And he has talked about the fact that he's worked on his ball handling. Uh, Raptors fans fairly were a little skeptical because OG in, in ball handling is not something historically you've been excited about. But he, even from when we looked at him in the exhibition games to now, uh, looks so much more comfortable with the ball at his hands. And again, like if he's going to consistently hit threes and people are going to start sprinting at him, whether he's in the corner above the break with an open look, and then he's going to be able to put the ball on the floor, two hard dribbles and get to the rim. I mean, he he turns into an entirely different player who, quite frankly, when his contract is up, can demand entirely different money. But more importantly, for right now, he becomes really, really a problem, not just defensively, but offensively. And I've never thought this before, but there were times when, because of Miami's length, things were difficult for Kyle, difficult even though he had 36 points for, for Fred. And I was watching, and, and, and you know, Norm didn't nece- was aggressive but didn't necessarily have um, you know, a vintage Norm Powell game. And I'm watching him like, we need OG. We need OG on the floor offensively. And I was like, what? wait, what was that thought that I just had? But that's how comfortable he's looked on the offensive end. Yeah. I've been so impressed by him through the first two games. It's actually far exceeded my expectations because, yeah, we saw signs and flashes of it. And it's just it's an exhibition basketball game. And so you never really know how much spacing a guy is getting or how they're going to react to an exhibition game versus something where, yeah, even if we say that the stakes are diminished. And again, I think that they're still bigger for the Raptors than most teams, but still, even for them, it's about staying healthy. That that performance against the Lakers and then following that up with the defense that he played against Miami was, yeah, eye-popping. Against the Lakers, I don't think anybody's expecting OG to hit nine. Uh, what, did he, what was he, eight of nine? And he knocked down all his threes. But it's it's what you said. It's that we know he's a consistent floor spacer. We know that when he's in the corner and he's wide open that he can knock down a shot. It's always been when he gets run off the line or when he catches the ball late in a shot clock and that first look isn't there, can he create a second one? And so far... The signs are, yes, with much greater ability, he's going to put the ball on the deck and look for his own shot near the rim. It wasn't as smooth against Miami. I think he only had one field goal that he made in this game. But even still, the fact that he was even looking to hunt it at some t- at certain points on his own was encouraging to me. The second thing is I, I, I'm having trouble evaluating these games at times. One is that it's been so long since we've had basketball, and I, I think I brought this up on the last podcast, how... You know, I can't even tell how in shape guys are versus what they were in the season because I almost feel as though it's camera angles and it's lighting and it's different courts and I I don't know. We'll see. But the other part of it is I don't know if how much these other teams are trying and what the stakes are and how much guys are getting used to things. But OG Ananobi looks even better on defense, if that's possible. Like, he is just this incredible disruptor. If anyone has ever played pickup hoops... He's just the guy that picks you up for the full length of the court and spoils your day and just absolutely ruins it. And the versatility in which he can defend has, I guess, always been obvious. But there are possessions where OG Ananobi switches to three or four different guys and just tracks the ball around. I, I, I can't even compare him to anybody else in the league. 
it's just it's it's hard. To, I like you could say a Giannis, but it's like he doesn't really do that. That's not a thing Giannis does. I'm not saying OG is better than him. It's just that it's different. And yeah, I I don't know if I could ever say I see a guy hunt the basketball the way he does. Like maybe Marcus Smart, but. It's that type of level of defending that you're seeing from OG Ananobi so far in these games where you feel comfortable with him on Bam Adebayo and then you also want to see him on LeBron James and then you can see him on a Kyle Kuzma and you then can watch him defend a Goran Dragic. Like, all of these guys, it's just totally fine and it completely works for him. I'm He's become the it raptor to me. I'm glad you mentioned that because there was a series in the Lakers game where he's guarding Anthony Davis for a long stretch and doing well, doing fine. And Anthony Davis did not have a great game. And we saw in against the Clippers, like Anthony Davis was the best player on the floor. Like he was just a matchup nightmare. And OG is doing quite fine against them. But then the Raptors secure the ball, great defensive rebound. And OG sprints down the floor because Anthony Davis is now matched up with OG Ananobi and, and, and beats him down the other end of the floor and, and gives the Raptors an offensive opportunity like that. And, and Anthony Davis, like, I mean, he's, he's a freak, but he's not, it's not a plodding big man where it's like, oh, of course he beat him down the floor. Like Anthony Davis takes four steps and he's down the floor. And, and so it, it's that type of versatility and the ability when you're versatile on defense for that to fuel your offense is why I think, again, OG takes this team to another level that yeah. we, we can't even recognize. Let's transition to, to Kyle then. Because I mentioned that Anthony Davis didn't have a great game in the Lakers game. LeBron and Anthony Davis combined, who, again, when you're handicapping who's going to win this thing, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, is is there a better duo in the sport? When's the last time there's a duo this good? In a Is there another group, maybe in the history of the sport, where you could do a pick and roll with a one and a five, assuming you're saying LeBron's a one and eighties a five, and you can do it either way. The center could be the ball handler and pass to the guard who could finish at the rim. Like I mean, your boys, the Golden State Warriors, are like, please don't continue this conversation. We had Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, and now you're doing this to us? Like, Donovan, we thought you were part of the team. We thought you were like Drake. We thought we had the, the tattoos. Yeah, I listen. I, I I would love to watch the the two on two basketball game between them, but uh, I think Steph is going to have a tougher time guarding LeBron than yeah. uh, than AD <laughs> is going to so have too. guarding Kevin Durant. But they too. combined against the Raptors and their defense, who didn't have a problem with them, for thirty four points, sixteen rebounds, eight assists, uh, sixteen free throw attempts, a minus thirty seven. Two of the best players, two of the top five players in the world, minus thirty seven on the floor. Uh, Kyle Lowry alone on his own, 33 points, 14 rebounds, six assists, 15 free throw attempts, plus 24, and barking at the Lakers bench the entire time. I loved the fact that Kyle was there uh, for the Lakers' first game, watching uh, them beat up on the Clippers, and okay, taking notes, and then he took it out on them. It was it was one of his best performances given uh the the level of competition so i actually think kyle and og pair very well together for the reason that you know you think about that lakers matchup and it's very possible that if the raptors make it to a finals that would be the opponent that they play 
And the Raptors kind of showed you what the blueprint was for them to get there, which is team defense. And so when we're talking about OG, yes, his offense changes the ceiling of this team just in terms of having another option and it gets sticky at times. And he's a guy who could dribble drive and get to the basket now and knock down an open three. But if he's one of the best offensive players in the NBA, and this continues to show up pretty consistently, what's the Raptors path to a finals? I don't think it's through offense. I don't think that you're relying on Kyle Lowry to get you 33 points every night. I think that, yeah, Kyle got his 33 in one game. And then what did Fred finish with today? Was it 35 or 36? I think it was a little 36, bit more. 36, Career right? Career high, so, 36 points. Right. So he finishes with 36. And I think that pretty consistently, you can hope that one Raptors player goes off. That there's one guy, whether it's Yakum or Fred or... Maybe it's Gasol sometimes, maybe not to that degree. I don't think he's going to be putting up 33 points or anything like that, but that you're going to get a couple of Raptors every night that give you offense. But ultimately, they have to win ugly. They have to win these knock them down, drag them out style games where the other team just can't get clean looks the way that the Lakers did at the end of their game and the way that Miami did at the end of theirs. Again, Miami uh, doesn't get a shot up on the possession where they're basically trying to tie it or take the lead. Jimmy Butler gets the ball down low. Kyle Lowry's there. He's a point guard who can actually defend a wing player with size in that position. And Fred Van Vliet tips the ball out and OG Ananobi's there to scoop it up. It's just, it's, it's all plus defensive players at every single position. And I, I, if you're trying to win in an isolation basketball game and it's, and it's score for score, then the Raptors aren't that team. But if you want to slog it up and beat it down, then they can. Like, that's their formula to do it. And and I think that Kyle Lowry, as much as that game was brilliant offensively, like, he continues to still do all of the other things. Like, he had 14 rebounds in that game. 14. That's defense. That's effort. That's consistency. And I just look at the way that he leads this team and the way that he's the guy that basically sets the, the, the tone and the example that it's it's still not Pascal Siakam's team because the Raptors are Kyle Lowry's attitude. It's oh, it's no question. It's it's Kyle Lowry's team. Uh, he could be the first player, um, you know, in the history of the franchise to average twenty five in in five, which is kind of crazy. Um, he he came in uh, to this game leading the league in terms of consecutive uh, games with twenty five and five. That streak ends obviously with with fourteen points, but still against Miami had his pulse on everything they did but the the Pascal had another nice game 22 points uh but the biggest player I mean in terms of scoring but more importantly with the key deflection that that basically seals the victory for them is Fred Van Vliet there's a reason why dude leads the league in deflections uh 36 points and He's historically really struggled against Miami because they have always had big guards because they're so long. There's a reason why he at times he he struggled in the playoffs um, to start, uh, certainly in the Philadelphia series and then in early in the Milwaukee series before he got it going and then went nuts in the in the finals. But um, another just crafty, I think, is the best way to describe it. Um, performance by by Fred. Yeah, I'm really starting to get worried about Fred and whether he's on the Raptors next year. And I don't really want to do that stuff right now because I think that it's very much about enjoying this team and living in the moment with these Toronto Raptors. Um, But there's going to be hard conversations. And with a flat cap... I, I just don't know. I, 
I don't know, especially considering we still don't know if Pascal Siakam is going to make uh, all NBA second team, which complicates things. We don't know how, uh, whether or not the Raptors are going to try to bring back both big men, whether they're just going to bring back both, what kind of contracts those guys are going to be looking for. There's just, there's a lot of uncertainty, but Fred Van Vliet is playing like a guy who uh, is going to get a big payday. Like you just, again, it's, it's hard. Again, I want to pump the brakes on things that it's, it's early in a tournament but he's already done this on a big stage, and now it looks like he's pretty consistently at his own offense better. And I think our our friend Blake Murphy wrote a really good piece about if Fred Van Vliet can unlock his scoring around the basket, and if he does that through this tournament, it's going to answer basically the last question about him because he plays good defense. You know he can knock down a three, and really the only area where he struggled throughout his career is uh, his percentages around the rim. And he looks more confident doing that. And it certainly is going to open things up for him if the Raptors continue to play this way where everybody's a threat. So, yeah, I've really liked Fred through a couple of games. Uh, he's done basically everything that I expected him to do. I wasn't expecting him to do well against the Heat, like you mentioned it. I thought it was kind of a tougher matchup for him and that this was not going to be the spot where he goes off. And, of course, lo and behold, he ends up with 36 points. Um, quick other couple Raptors check marks. I don't want to say I'm disappointed in this, but... I tweeted right before the basketball game started today that I was looking for two things. One is, are they going to inject more Marcus Gasol into the offense? And two, how is Pascal Siakam going to look against Bam Adebayo? And I thought Siakam started really well, and then he faded later. And his offense has been pretty inconsistent since he entered the bubble. Like, he has not, he has not looked like a man on fire. And that's okay, because that's not what the Raptors need to do. And I think that we're all kind of coming around to the understanding that this is a team by committee and it's not going to go as far as Pascal Siakam can take them. But that, yeah, the, the offense has been a little in inconsistent and I'm not really sure that that turnaround jumper he's tried to add, the mid-range jumper, is reliable yet. And the second thing is Gasol, how we got really excited when we saw those pictures of his body and the reports of the weight loss and how he was in shape and that he was healthy. And it hasn't been a very different Marc Gasol experience so far. I think he had seven field goal attempts in the first game, only a few against the Miami heat, uh, pretty sheltered minutes again, could be a secret weapon, but so far, how do you feel about new Mark? Because to me, it's very much old Mark down a few pounds. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm reserving judgment because I, I really. It's hard. I get it. He's a, well. It's not even that it's hard. It's just I. I see him as a luxury, not a necessity. To be honest, I see him as like an adapter that you just pull out in the random time that you need it, or someone comes over with uh, the old school iPhone and they need a charge, and you've just got one like where you throw all the cords that you don't use anymore and so i just feel like his real role is there's going to be like a random five minute stretch in a playoff series where the offense really sucks and he's going to be point marcus and distributing from the top of the elbow or uh, basically the three-point line with, with no intention to shoot or there's going to be a series like a potential one with uh the 76ers where he just needs to take Joel and beads elbow and shoulder in his chest time and time again for 27 minutes and not move so i'm i'm not really evaluating him because I, he's kind of like insurance like you just kind of pay it hoping that you don't need it but when you do it's nice to have it it's nice to have a caa card when you have a flat tire in the middle of a highway and so yeah i'm not i'm 
I'm not going to be scrutinizing his box score um, every second day uh, the way I will some other players, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, it's not so much his box score for me, though. It's just that I really, I did really think that the Raps were going to come out of this thing and say, hey, what's one of the solutions to our offense, which, again, was 12th rated and has had a lot of moments where it's looked stagnant. And so far, you haven't really needed to see Mark. That's another part of it. Because again, the defenses have not been locked down. Even the Lakers and Heat, who have, I would say, played the Raptors pretty hard through two games relative to what we've seen in the bubble, they're still conceding a lot of shots beyond the arc. And both teams are very, very happy to take them. And it's a big reason, again, why Fred Van Vliet absolutely went off. And it's why Kyle Lowry went off. Like These guys were given wide open looks from threes and then they knocked them down. So you haven't really had those tense moments where someone needs a touch and someone you've got to go to them in a big spot and that guy all of a sudden becomes Marcus all so I part of it is that I just think that they haven't had to use him like you said part of it is that you really don't want to lean on him too much as of right now because you still want to make sure that he's healthy and if you're talking about guys who are susceptible to an injury by being overplayed a little bit too much I would still say Marcus all is very much at the top of the list but yeah, I, I thought there would be some moments where he was a little bit more aggressive. I certainly thought in a heat game where Bam is incredible, but still a little undersized. And when he comes out of the game that you get opportunities against Kelly Olynyk, that Gasol was going to be a little bit more involved on the block or that we were going to see some different offensive sets from them that got him a little bit more involved and haven't seen it so far. think it will happen, but as of right now, not a big thing. Um, where are you at with Norm through two? Because... Again, it's we keep having to restate this, that it's only a couple of games, but so far the bench has not really done anything. You can't pass Rondé Hollis-Jefferson the ball. Norm is missing a ton at the rim. Uh, I, I do a thing on Good Show called Is This Anything? Uh, Donovan Bennett, is Norm Powell and the bench's offense so far anything to you? No, not yet. If, if, if it gets to the point where we're getting, you know, 20 to 25 minutes of Patrick McCaw, just as Nick Nurse sometimes likes to troll me personally and, and just looks to find something, then yes, it would be anything. But uh, until we get to that point, uh, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm also... You? Uh, no. I, it's like he's he's around the rim. He's missing shots on the rim. I think that those ultimately drop. Uh, my only sort of concern is that it does give me flashbacks like norm powell trying to do a little bit too much and forcing it on offense i think sometimes was how he would get to those spots in his career and so i just hope it doesn't get to a situation where he has to wait four or five six games for it to start dropping that it's something where he can come out in one of the next few games and hopefully that's going to be one of the ancillary benefits of winning these first two and having the celtics drop the first one is that it certainly takes pressure off of the team in terms of making sure that they're going to their their do or die rotations or that they can have some time where they let norm get his feet wet and be the primary offensive player for you know a quarter or two uh that he finds it I, i'm not worried about it but it, it's definitely something that i that i flagged that i was like yeah okay let's let's see a little something because again i think when push comes to shove the raptors are really going to need norm powell to create offense on his own that there's going to become moments in basketball games where Fred might be a little too undersized. Kyle might be a little too undersized. Uh, Gasol might be a little too reluctant. Siakam might not have that experience level yet. And Norm is still, to me, one of the guys that you look to to create a basket when you need one in a pinch. Yeah, no question. Um, 
I'm not worried because he looks healthy. He looks in shape. Mm -hmm. uh, he just had some tough looks that didn't fall, but it is worth watching. Let's let's say that. Yeah, and the other thing that encourages me a little bit is that he came back from injury a couple of times this season, and both times I was worried that he was going to lose the momentum that he had gathered throughout the regular season. And yeah, the guy was fine. He he came back and was really good both times. So his his role isn't going anywhere. He doesn't have to worry about that. He knows he's going to continue to get his opportunities, that he has the trust of the coaching staff and his teammates. So uh, ultimately looking for Norm to be fine, just fine. So any other Raptors thought that you want to hit on before before we wrap this thing up? Because uh, I want to I want to talk about some things from around the NBA that we've noticed so far as well today. I, I want to give the Raptors uh, kudos and a shout out not only for kneeling, but for kneeling for both anthems. And some people felt like they shouldn't have knelt for the Canadian anthem because the issues either don't exist in Canada or aren't to the same level in Canada. And some Raptors were honest about the fact that they didn't really know the extent of the issues in Canada until talking to Canadian teammates like Slim Duck, um, Chris Boucher, and O'Shea Brissett, and, and obviously a bunch of staff members who the majority of which um, are Canadian. Um, but Nick Nurse treated it as one long song, and there are many issues that aren't uh, invisible um, on you know the north side of the invisible borders. And in some areas, I would say that the issues are worse only because in the United States, they're accustomed to talking about them and addressing them. Whereas Canadians, we feel is doing us a disservice by openly talking about them because we want to be seen and viewed by the rest of the world as progressive um, and inclusive and diverse. Um, and the only way that you live up to those ideals that we have as a country is if you actually check in on yourself and make sure that you're doing that all the time for all people. So from the players kneeling to the Lakers honoring them and kneeling as well to the coaches on the Raptors staff who, you know, didn't wear the team issue golf shirts. They wore shirts that said vote to, to bring some education to the fact that there are many Americans uh, living in Canada who um, just don't, bother to, to figure out how they can vote from abroad and, and obviously voting is is important no matter what side of the aisle you were on uh to lebron james for singing the canadian national anthem while he was kneeling and, and, and paying respect to canada in that sense but also paying respect to the raptors who i think he just likes wanted to make, you know, well it's a, it, I mean, it's a good song it, i mean it's a top five anthem no question. It really is. Uh, it really is good. Uh, although the, the Star Spangled Banner, uh, from a sporting perspective, uh, is a good anthem as well. Um, so, yeah, res respect to the, the Raptors who continue to lead uh, on this issue. Yeah, I think the Raptors have done, have been at the very forefront. That's been obvious. And it's not really hard to draw a lot of reasons as to why. They do have a very progressive front office. And I think that that has had a trickle down effect throughout the organization. And I think that's really well said by you, especially considering that, yeah, I think a lot of Canadians do get to hide behind that image, especially when it comes to the United States. You just look at the comments that Draymond Green had, right, about how he didn't really, I don't want to say approve, but that he was pretty curious as to why the Raptors had the Black Lives Matter buses when they were a Canadian team and said that, quote, I think that it was the issues don't apply to them. And that, yes, yeah, he, so he was... He was trying to give them credit by saying thank you for having the Black Lives Matter buses, even, you know, supporting an issue in the United States, not realizing that 
they're similar, if not the exact same issues in Canada. And I mean, like, why would Draymond Green know that? I mean, I guess living in Detroit, uh, in Michigan, he's, it's not like he was that far. So, so he could have been more aware. But I mean, he's hyper focused on the issues uh, in, in the United States. But um, yeah, I, I think it, it's been um, it's been good so that people like Draymond Green fully understand um, that that we have a ways to go in Canada as well. But I, yeah, I just I think that that attitude, that sentiment, is very much spread throughout Canadians as well. And anyway, I think that you stated it um, eloquently. I think that uh, I agree with basically just everything that you just said. And that yes, the NBA has done exactly what I expected them to do so far. That you hear Doc Rivers speak, you hear LeBron James speak. That players have been very vocal, and it's very clear that not only are they passionate about the things that they want changed. They're also very educated on those same very things. To me, it's just still, you know, had Matt Barnes on good show today and it still remains a ownership issue to me that where are we going to see the funding from owners? Where are we going to see the political push from owners? Because it hasn't happened so far when the pressure has been at its highest and when they would be most likely to frankly and cynically get a good PR push from it. And the only owner that you've seen so far is the only black owner, Michael Jordan. And so until that happens, um, I, I enjoy that people are having conversations. I'm happy that it's pushing people into uncomfortable positions, but I, I still think that there's a way to go for the NBA of, hey, asking where the ultimate biggest pocketbooks are, uh, what they're going to be doing and what their actual pledges are going to be and the way that they're going to use their voices and their might. Um, but other than that, been, been pretty satisfied. Uh, anything else, or do you want to move to some other Raptors basketball stuff? Um, can I just give, give you a list of some quotes before I move on? Yeah, sure. Um, here are some quotes about the Raptors. They are tough across the board. Jeff Van Gundy, Van Gundy. How good Kyle Lowry is, how tough and good he is. Mark Jackson. The Lakers Raptors game was just again, a reminder of how tough the Raptors are. They play with such force. Mike Green, Breen, uh, Eric Spolstra. We have a deep respect for their organization. They have an identity, a brand of basketball. In many ways, we look at them and it's just respect. Uh, and, and lastly, uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. They're a great team. They have championship DNA. LeBron James. I bring all that up to say, enjoy this, Raptors fans while you have it for however long it lasts of being these underdogs, they don't talk about us. We don't get any respect. Like that's been literally part of the fabric of the franchise for its history, but certainly when they've actually deserved some respect in the last decade and haven't gotten it to me already. And, and, and it was the case going into the restart. People were still sleeping on them. You had random people, picking them and saying nice things like Charles Barkley and Kendrick Perkins, but that was news because most people were not giving them credit. People were talking about the Celtics being the, the, the biggest threat to the Bucs and not the Raptors. I honestly feel in this scenario where, where the entire league is on, on the same footing and they get to watch other teams, how they move, how they operate, and literally they get to watch their games up close and personal. They don't have to have direct TV to see the Raptors games. They're, they're seeing them in, in front of their eyes. They don't need League Pass to do it. I, I think the level of respect when everyone's on the same playing field for the Raptors is going to go so high. And there's going to be a bunch of American journalists who never really had to think 
of the Raptors because they were outside of their jurisdictions are going to come away from this experience talking that Raptors gospel the way some Raptors truthers have in the media for a little bit. So enjoy like this little underdog mentality. No one respects us. Moving forward, assuming they continue to do what they're, they're supposed to, I, I think you're going to be inundated with people showing love to the Raptors because it's been a week and it's already happening. Yeah, a lot of the NBA community has been gushing about the Raptors and rightfully so because the team has been very good for a really long time and that, you know, they got their asses handed to them by LeBron James and there were definitely some disappointing playoff series. But since the team has been basically and unequivocally either Kawhi Leonard's team or Kyle Lowry's team, yeah, the they've been... They've, they've been different. I'm sorry. The team has been very different over the last two years. And it, it wasn't just Kawhi Leonard and it wasn't just getting rid of DeMar DeRozan. It's, it's been a confluence of things. But our buddy Josh, uh, Josh Eberle, he had a tweet today that I, I haven't been able to stop thinking about, which is, yeah, the Raptors have won 63% of their games since Kyle Lowry joined them. And that's 0.2% lower than Nash's Suns. It's higher than Peyton Sonics. It's higher than Isaiah's Pistons. And it's higher than Kids Nets. Um, He's been, he's been incredible, and the Raptors have had an incredible run, and I don't know if the underdog mentality will ever go away. I think it's just a part of being Canadian in the one franchise, but Raptors fans certainly got it today when they thought that uh, Nick Nurse lost Coach of the Year, only to know that it's the NBCA Coach of the Year award, which is voted on by the other coaches. I still think it's a little bit of a slight, even though he was one vote off apparently from getting one, uh, from getting making it a three-way tie between those coaches. Um, what did you make about this? Because uh, I think there's a pretty easy conclusion to draw here that both you and I had. Yeah, the rest of the coaches are jealous of Nick Nurse. I mean, it's You're quite here. clear. And I, I don't, I don't blame <laughs> them. This guy's got nice bottleneck glasses. He's wearing nice suits. He's got a, a fisherman's friend deal. He, he's, he's wearing custom masks and, and, and wearing custom hats. The Raptors have the third best record in the he's NBA. He's going so on maybe, stage with rock stars playing his true, guitar. True, that's true. Thank you. Forgot about that. That's very true. Uh, they got the third best record in the NBA. So if you wanted to make an argument for the, the two coaches who have better records, okay, fine, fair enough. They had a franchise record 15-game win streak. They've lost 219 player games to injury this year. Oh, and by the way, since January 1, they have the best record in the league. So he was dealt a, a, a team he had to figure out because two of his most impactful players from a year ago were no longer on the team. He's done it despite the fact they've had a bunch of injuries. Despite the fact that they've been on layaway for four months, they come back and they're ready to play automatically, but yet he can't even get into the to the tie break for coach of the year with two other guys? Come on, man. Yeah, I I, I do think that some of this is professional jealousy, frankly. Um, I think it extends beyond just nurse and yeah, the way that he's living off the court, because that stuff's obvious, but I don't think that too many NBA coaches actually pay attention to that. What I do think they pay attention to is what he's done schematically, especially with his defenses and the way that he has been lauded for these things. And I just don't think that all of the league that every single one of the coaches, we, everybody understands that you can have professional jealousies. You can look at people and say that, you know, it just it doesn't matter what you do. And wonder what it is that, you know, you, why you can't unlock that next thing. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, God, what's that movie called? Nostradamus? 
you know, where it's Mozart and I can't even remember the other guy's name, but the other guy is just like, why, you know, why him? And he's so upset about it because he just, he can't be Mozart. He just doesn't have Mozart's talent. And I think that's probably the way that a lot of coaches look at Nick Nurse, that they just don't know why they can't unlock and they can't think the way that he does or get the more out of the talent the way that he does. He had some... He was fortunate to inherit a very, very good culture and to get a Kyle Lowry and to be able to work with a guy like Masai Ujiri. But for the most part, I think it's 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 completely undeniable that Nick Nurse has had the best season out of any coach. And it's not simply because of the record, which is what most people point to. It's that already the debate is between a few head coaches in the NBA as to who you would want to have at the head of the ship. And Nick Nurse is one of them. And guess what? The other two guys aren't. So say whatever you want. That's that's where Nick Nurse is going to do his winning. He is ultimately going to win Coach of the Year. So we've got some new things for you this NBA season. And no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else. And it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox. Sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe and we got you. Uh, I want to do some rapid fire bubble thoughts and and rip through just some of the other things that we've noticed from a few of these games. And I guess since we were talking about Billy Donovan, I just want to start with this. You know, you talk about appreciating things and and soaking things in. I have had a huge appreciation with Paul in the bubble. He's 35 years old. He's the same age as LeBron James. And he has basically none of the same physical gifts. Like he's a six foot guy that looks pretty ordinary. Yeah. He's in good shape. Of course he works out. Of course he's athletic, but by NBA standards, Chris Paul is on the, in the bottom, what 5% of the athletes in the NBA. And the guy is just absolutely picking people apart and he looks phenomenal. This guy got traded to a team that everyone projected was not only not going to make the playoffs, but be among the worst teams in the NBA. He never put up a stink about being traded. He never sat out any games. He didn't pull an Andre Iguodala where he decided that he wasn't going to show up to camp and that he just was done and was not going to report for the Grizzlies. He went out and he played ball. And he is the leader of one of, I think, the most dangerous teams in the Western Conference, a team that plays defense and has multiple guards that they can attack you with. And he's completely rejuvenated Stephen Adams' career. Stephen Adams went from one of the most important centers in the NBA to a completely irrelevant figure overnight. And now he's back to the Steven Adams of old. And if it's not a Raptors game and there's one thing that I can put at the top of the dial right now, it's watching Chris Paul because I'm not sure how much longer it's going to last, but while it does, it's phenomenal. He's the point God for a reason. He's one of my favorite players who's ever played. And I, I actually think at this point, because of the contract and all of the discussion around it, that we've sort of done him a bit of a disservice in terms of what a player he is. He went from not being an all-star, like deservedly, to being someone who should be all NBA this year. I don't know if you put him on the second team. I don't know if you put him on the third team, but he should be on a team. Uh, in another reason, by the way, why uh, capping this thing before the bubble is ridiculous because I do think that if you know the Raptors continue to look the way they currently look and Kyle Lowry continues to play the way he's currently playing, I think he certainly would, would have a strong case for finding his way on an all-NBA team. 
but yeah, Chris Paul, who, like, quite frankly, many people would have done the opposite. If you were on a championship level team in the somewhat twilight of your career and you got traded, uh, and basically the, the blame was placed on you for why that team didn't reach its expectations, the expectations being beating one of you know the greatest teams in the history of the sport. You get shipped to Oklahoma City, a team that you know didn't really want you because they have young guards. They just needed to make full rework and, and full rebuild mode. They, what, they, what they wanted was picks, not you. And you were just waiting to be traded somewhere else, a trade that never happened. It would it would have been I don't want to say understandable because you're you're being paid millions to be a professional, but but I think many people would have would have just expected that he would shut it down. I mean. Andre Godala did not get treated with nearly as bad a hand. And he's just like, yeah, you know what? I'm actually just going to be an angel investor and play golf for the first two thirds of the season. Exactly. Uh, and then, and then come back and make my money. And so the fact that Chris Paul has been in, 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 the word professional throughout mm-hmm. this, a great mentor to, to Shay. Um, and also like a really, really good player. And in fact, the best player in crunch time in the league Man, yeah, I I think uh, this is in a weird way, not statistically, but just in terms of his impact, one of his finest seasons. Yeah, it's funny because uh, Vince Carter went through a little bit of this in terms of he went from a guy who was viewed as pretty selfish and different, different in terms of the way these guys are viewed. But I think Paul, at the end of his tenure, uh, certainly with the Rockets and Clippers, it was, hey, this guy's really hard to play with. This guy, as talented as he is, he is a grading figure and that James Harden was sick of his shit and Blake Griffin was sick of his shit. And you know what? He doesn't play nice with others. And now you just listen to the way that Shea Gilgis Alexander talks about him, the way that Daniel Gallinari and Steven Adams talk about him, the way that he's been able to, you know, get the most out of young players and the way that he's been able to play with veteran players. Yeah. I, I do think that it absolutely alters a little bit of the conversation about him at the end of his career. The, the bigger thing to me though, is more that, I can't imagine that the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat aren't kicking themselves a little bit, not spending a little bit more uh, time and effort going out and getting him. Like, if you recall, Oklahoma City wanted something for Chris Paul. They stood pretty firm in that. Some other teams thought that they were just going to, you know, buy him out or that they were going to give him away for free as long as you could give an expiring up. And that was going to be just hunky dory for them. And that wasn't the case. They held on to him. And. Yeah, what would the Miami Heat be right now with Chris Paul? And it, Goran Dragic is good, but it, we saw that today in this game. But he ain't no Chris Paul. And Eric Bledsoe is probably the biggest wild card in terms of shutting down that season. And what happened to the Bucks the other night when they played the Houston Rockets? Things got clogged up late, and there was nobody else that could get you a basket or could handle the basketball, and it hurt them, and they lose to the Rockets, and they choke a lead late in a basketball game. And I, I think if Chris Paul is on the Milwaukee Bucks, that they're winning the NBA championship this season. Like that, that's just happening that we're basically putting that down in stone. And instead it's like, Hey, who are the thunder going to upset? Hey, who are the thunder going to grind down? I can tell you right now that there is no team in the Western conference that wants to play OKC in the first round of the postseason, And so much of it is Chris Paul. So yeah. Uh, revisionist history a little bit for a lot of us, but I, those last two years of Chris Paul's contract aren't looking so bad right now. Yeah, I just in the case of the Bucks, their picks are not necessarily that valuable moving forward because they're always going to be good. So they're always going to be, you know, almost second round picks. They're going to be at the end of the first round, and then 
Oklahoma City, as we've seen, is not giving him up for nothing. So you would have to have parted with enough of your core to then beg the question, would they have been a championship contender? But you bring up Miami, I think is fascinating. Because if you just took what they gave up for Andre Godala and threw a couple picks on top of that, that gets the Chris Paul trade done. And I certainly think they're a championship contending team with Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler on the same team in crunch time. Like, who who would want to face those two guys on the same team in the last five minutes of a game when the when the score is within five points? Nobody. And and so, yeah, I, it's it's obviously it's revisionist history because nobody thought that the Heat uh, were going to be this good when Jimmy Butler went there. Everyone was like, oh, okay, I guess he doesn't care about winning. He just wants the Bam money. Bam changed their cool. ceiling. Bam changed their ceiling for sure. C- certainly, certainly did. And and Eric Spolstra is. Is a is a great coach, and they have a, a great culture. And and Hero has played really well, as we saw a, a, against the Raptors. But yeah, that that's the the Heat not not basically finding a way to get to Chris Paul trade past the finish line. Um, as good as they've been, if you're a Heat fan, you're you're going to always wonder what could have been. Absolutely. Um, I want to give you credit for your Blazers take. Uh, you had this before anybody else, and the Blazers became this really, really sexy point of conversation. I know that uh, Bill Simmons made it a focus of one of his podcasts. I saw, I think it was Chris Haynes did a, a piece on them. A bunch of people did, but we're talking months ago. Uh, you had a take about the Portland Trailblazers and how you really thought that they were the scary team and that don't let them get hot and don't let them come into this tournament and... Yeah, I mean, I've seen Portland in the playoffs and they do the same thing every time, which is they kick somebody's ass in the first round. We gush about Damian Lillard because he always comes up with clutch shots. He's done it multiple times in the first round. And then the later the thing goes and as the competition ramps up, they get exposed as a team that can't hang with the best of the best. And yeah, they lost to the Boston Celtics yesterday. And yes, they were getting blown out for large chunks of it. But if I had to rank the... 10 scariest teams in the NBA bubble right now. The Portland Trailblazers are there. If you put them in the Eastern Conference, uh, are they as good as Miami? Like, are they as good as the Sixers? Like, they're kind of in that conversation, that tier. I think that the West is deeper. The top of the East is just as good. But, yeah, if you're kind of looking at middle-tier teams in the Eastern Conference, like, Portland is certainly much better than Orlando, who's actually looked pretty decent. And they just look awesome. They look terrifying. And, yeah, I think if the Lakers could have one wish right now, it would just be don't let us play the Blazers in round one, especially considering how good Yusuf Nurkic looks. Like, I don't know how surprised you are by his play. It's blown me away. He looks like one of the best centers in the NBA. He looks like he didn't miss any time. Dropped 30 and nine. Uh, Granted, Boston is just allergic to centers, but still. Um, he, he he played pretty good against the Raptors. Was he wasn't trying to fight Serge Ibaka? Here's Portland's remaining schedule, and this is their issue: Houston, Denver, L.A. Clippers, the Philadelphia 76ers, Dallas, and then they end with Brooklyn. I, 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 as you'll notice, I did not say the home and the way. I don't really even know why we're still putting that on websites. Like, does it matter that they finish you on the, the road at board. Dallas and you at get Brooklyn? The video board. I guess oh, they're going to be wearing the black uniforms. It might make a difference. Um, but listen, they've, they've, the issue for them well, is twofold. I mean, part of it is that schedule. Uh, the other part of it is they've got a couple 
teams to jump. I've already written off the Pelicans. Zion's in a minutes restriction. He doesn't look great. They, they, they We all wondered who like the team so that was going to come and not be focused. I, my bet was the Phoenix Suns. Evidently, I was wrong. It was the Pelicans. It cost uh, me a lot of but, money yesterday, the Phoenix Suns, because they were focused. Thanks a lot. Beating Dallas yeah. and just coming back in that basketball game. Really enjoyed that, even with a foul. They're, out they're using book. this as like a competitive summer league for their yeah. entire program, which is kind of smart. Um, they, so they... Portland certainly, uh, you know, doesn't have to worry about the Pelicans who who are behind them now by a full game. But you've got the Spurs, who I don't really think is a threat, who's ahead of them by half a game. So all they have to do is really get into that playing game against the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies aren't catching anyone in front of them. Um, And that's fascinating. You're telling me uh, whatever the spread is, the the Blazers are are two back from the Grizzlies and you're in this playing scenario. Uh, or, or one back if they can close the gap in the remaining seven games. I I cannot wait to see however many games it's going to be of Ja versus Dame. Neither guy knows what it means to back down. Um, it's yeah. it, and, and 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 to see like just the two offensive linemen of Jonas and 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 Nurkic just like setting moving screens all over the place for these athletic guards. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch, assuming that that's what we get. But I, I think Portland's dangerous because again, if you're the Lakers and you're watching that, who would you rather play? I think you certainly would rather play the Grizzlies than the Trailblazers. Yeah, you'd rather play the Spurs. You'd rather play the Grizzlies. Like, of course. Um, I think right. you'd rather play the Pelicans. Yeah, well, I, I think you're dead on, though, that the Pelicans are done. I think that they've already packed up their bags. I think that their whole team is probably pissed. They're like, hey, uh, we came all this way and we came in the bubble. We expanded to 24 teams because this was supposed to be a Zion tournament. And now we're not even playing Zion. What, no, what I think Adam here? Silver is pissed because he spent an extra like what? 750,000 at least to bring in a bunch of teams that they didn't need just so that oh, they could find a way to get the Pelicans in. Yeah, probably more than that. More than that. Think that's like that's like a couple of days of testing. Like that's yeah, I think it's they could have just gone straight to, hey, we're doing the one play-in game for each conference. Hey, this is unfair, but the Wizards are playing. The Wizards are getting a shot and so are the the Blazers. And that's it. And we're, that's all we're doing here. And we could have saved a lot of time and effort. And to be honest, I don't think that I think that these regular season games are pretty glorified scrimmages. Like if you just look at the way that these teams are playing and the way that they're treating them, it's not very intense. Um, There's moments and it's very fun and I'm enjoying it immensely. But yeah, the primary focus is stay healthy because of what you said. There's no stakes. There's nobody playing for home court. It doesn't mean anything other than wearing a different color uniform at this point. And do you really care if you're facing Dallas or OKC or Houston in the first round? Like, are you really stacking those teams as, oh, my God, it would just make a world of difference if we could get up one spot, even for the Lakers. Like you mentioned, the Trailblazers are scary. That's a scary team. Nobody wants to face face the Blazers in round one. So, yeah, I just I, I, I can't wait till we actually get to some games where there are more stakes. And right now, Portland is one of those teams that's playing for something. So I'm very much watching all of their games. And same with the Grizzlies. They're just two groups that I think you have to focus on. Um, you have not me a culprit for something. Uh, that is, you know, we did a thing of who are you most interested in when you get to the bubble? And your pick was the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, how many Brooklyn Nets minutes have you watched so far, my friend? Like, how would you like to change that pick? Because I get why you brought it up at the time. But holy hell, what an eyesore. Do you know who they're missing in their next game? They're missing Levert and they're missing Joe Harris. Like, I don't know who they're going to play. We're a week into this. We still have time. 
I'm just waiting for like the cesspitus where they can't find someone for 24 hours. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that dude, he just left. Like he's like, it's a wrap. I'm not doing this. Yeah. And they're like, well, wait, there's been no COVID positives. He's like, no, we, our play has not been positive. I'm leaving. They, are, if if I could have a reality show, I mean, okay, I would probably choose the Lakers, or actually, I'd probably choose the Clippers. But aside from seeing LeBron uh, and I would AD do Taco Tuesday, or yeah. I mean, yeah, that's. I would actually choose Justin Bede. I don't really need the rest of the team. Uh, like, like the audio guys, like Al Horford. Yeah. We need you to say something. Stop reading yeah. books. Like this is not working. Um, I would choose the Nets because one, I'd like to get to know them. I don't know half the people on your team, but two, everybody knows that they shouldn't be there. That they're terrible, including them. In that, I think I'm here for the destruction. That's why I like reality shows. I'm here for chaos, and that's why the, the Nets are still my choice. I mean, I think that's lunacy. Uh, I will admit that I watched one of their full games, and I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to, but it was because of Thomas Bryant and the way that he looked, and I thought, ooh, Thomas Bryant is actually a scary dude. Maybe if you can just get one other guy somehow to Washington with Bradley Beal and Bryant that you could be scary. The problem is is that they're in this play-in tournament, so they can't get worse, so they can't improve their lottery odds. Uh, yeah, I think a Nets fan would ad- very, very much and very desperately, or sorry, a Wizards fan, wish that they could fall down a little bit further. Um, yeah, we hit on Zion. We hit on the Thunder. Uh, I think that the Rockets have been fairly interesting so far. Exactly what I thought. A team that's just going to run up scores with everybody. Um, Dallas does not care. They're locked into seventh. They're, they, like, they played for a win the other night, but Chris Tapps looks amazing, and so does Luka. They're kind of a scary team. Um... Anything else, like anything that is have been in the bubble before we go uh, that, that you want to hit on? Well, my last thing to hit on is, I mean, we evaluate the play and the teams. We have to evaluate the game and how it looks. Hashtag whole new game. And for me, it's one, it's just nice watching basketball again uh, and, and hearing Kevin Harlan again and Mike Breen again. Like, it's just, it, it feeds my soul. I, I'm not missing the in- arena dance-off that happened between like two 14 year old kids and then like some 65 year old uh lady that is going to the game because she just retired and and she wants to do the latest hip-hop dance terribly not missing that whatsoever i think we can now abolish that uh i i do like the fact that the home team they're getting their local like sound effects and their local playlists if you're like a hardcore raptors fan you will realize that a lot of the noises that you'd hear after baskets and a lot of the instrumental music that they play for offensive sets um you're hearing a lot of that so i do love that flavor there's i believe it is six different PA announcers that were sent to the bubble to do the games for the entire league and they're just basically, you know, uh, trading games. I I, kind of feel like we could have had all the announcers do the games. They could have done them from home. Like, Studio North is where the the game is actually being telecast by Devlin and and Rowdens. Why can't we just have um, the, the PA guys who whether it's Detroit or the Lakers or, or, or the Nets or Toronto, all have distinct voices. Why can't we just have them on a Zoom call from wherever they live doing the PA that's heard 
insane. I, I feel like we the first guy who's ever cared about a PA guy. Like I, I gotta oh, say, man. like oh, no, first guy in the history well, of anything with these games, like, the you PA hear guy. them like, so what? much more and so much louder sure. than you would on TV. All so PA guys sound matters. the same. No, that, that's no the that, same. during a game. The thoughts of JD Bunkus or JD yeah. Bunkus and JD Bunkus is alone. Sure, a warm up call for Sportsnet or anybody who has ears. There is PA no, they, they don't sound the same at all. Yeah, guy. So see, you know, you know, you're supposed to hear. Sure, you know what you're supposed to hear from the PA guy. Now something in. That's it. That's all I care. It's, no, it's, you know what it is? It's the teacher put some in, in respect Snoopy. on Herbie Kuhn's name right no, now. It's the PA, the PA <laughs> is the exact put, same thing. How dare you? That's yeah. blasphemy. No. Uh, the other thing is is no. is uh, is um, the other thing is so the sound like we've had this. You know, we talked about Celtics Blazers was sound. brutal. Celtics Blazers was the only time where they really screwed up the sound, in my opinion, where it was way too much. I don't know if you watched that game, but it was aggressive. Like I had to turn the volume down and I just couldn't even listen to the play by play because the sound was so loud being pumped in and so fake. And it's like the first quarter and Daniel Thies has a, has a layup and it's like, ah, it was too much. It was, it was, it was wild. They gotta, they gotta correct that. Here's the thing. Like who, who's this being done for? So we've heard from reporters that in the actual arena or field house, that sound is being played the same way it is for us, the crowd noise. And it just sounds like fake crowd noise. It doesn't feel like you're actually there with the crowd because, of course, it doesn't. And for us, it doesn't sound great either. Like, this is not soccer where you could fall asleep to a game and then the commentator wakes you up for a goal. You don't need that background white noise. I would rather just hear shoes squeaking and people screaming foul. It, it, but th this is the real issue. Is that they've got this sound right now, and it's trying to replicate regular season games. As you all know from watching a lot of playoff games, and anyone who's a Raptors fan knows, the sound in the playoffs is distinctly different. It's like it's like a different pitch, it, it, and it adds to the intensity of the game. So do they have another set of audio tracks that are just playoff crowd noises? Because if not, the intensity in the the pomp and circumstance of a playoff game is not going to feel the same when I'm hearing this audio track that was recorded from game 73 uh, three years ago. Um, I'm not a big fan of the audio when it's too loud. I think it's fine when it's a murmur. I don't think virtual fans do much. I think it's been a little much having every single team broadcast do the thing where they're like, and look who's here. Look who got the seats. Someone who he begged to be on the camera for this thing. For the Raptors, it was Pascal Siakam's brother, I guess. Uh, for the Celtics, it's been Paul Pierce. Uh, we've seen a bunch of different people do it. Yeah, there's some kinks with it. I just, I, I still can't believe how impressive looking it is. I, I just really hope that the feeling for me changes a little bit in terms of the, the juice of the moment when we're in the playoffs. Because so far in these regular season games, I, I've cared, but I, I haven't felt that, that feeling that you get watching playoffs. And I know it's not playoffs, but it's just, I'm always going to be dubious if a Dion Waiters goes off for 25 points or if the shooting percentages stay this high, that players are not, ultimately, like what I care about is the product over anything else. And if there are certain players that all of a sudden they're playing much better, especially offensively, because there's not the pressure of an audience in front of them, that'll be the only thing. That's where, you know, they're going to get into asterisk titles, but so far so good. Like I, I just, I cannot believe that 
we made it here, that we have NBA basketball. That uh, do, you, do you happen to know what today's date is? Uh, it is August the 3rd. It's August the 3rd. So we've been playing basketball, and it's not the 15th. Correct. That is correct, right? Yes. You would agree that we're playing NBA basketball games before August 15th. We are, yes. We are, Winner, yes. winner, chicken dinner. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you can even post my email address. You know, I take cash. I take credit. Um, I, I would take, you know, Donovan bucks of favors from you and $100 worth. Like uh, my email address at gmail.com. Like wh- however you want to do this, however you want to do this thing. Um, I was right. I was right. Uh, as usual. You were right. I should have bet on on baseball not finishing and not uh, basketball not starting. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure why you just gave away your email. Uh, ah, on my podcast. I don't think what, who's going to email I, me an associate. I think, like, uh, okay, well, we'll <laughs> we, we hope your inbox isn't flooded. Uh, Michael, you want might want to delete that. Yes, you were correct. Uh, the NBA got it done. Adam Silver got it done. Uh, and I was going to say that like us, we got it done, like humanity, like people as a whole. We made it. Treated the virus seriously. But that's actually like not true. Like us as Canadians, yeah. we got it done. Uh, but yeah. Americans, specifically where they're playing in Florida, they didn't get it done. They're, hopefully they do soon. But yes, you were correct. Uh, kudos to you. Yeah. Broken clock is right twice a day. Um, I'm really glad. Like most people, most gamblers, like, you know, you were adamant at the time. Thousand dollars, thousand dollars. And I... I was a coward. I only put a hundred dollars down and most gamblers when they don't go higher are just apoplectic that they just didn't have the faith in their gambler gut. This is the first time where I was just so thankful that it wasn't a thousand dollars because I never would have taken a thousand dollars from you. Like, first of all, but it just would have been awkward. Don't you think you were like, ah, a thousand is fine. A thousand is fine. I think you would have taken a thousand from me though. Do you agree? Well, if we bet a thousand, yes, then See, yeah, I knew it. I mean, that, what's the point of betting the amount of money if one million you don't percent. then take the money? Yeah. I, what are you talking no. about? I'm, Wait, like, what are you I'm saying? One million boy. percent you you, to Michael? You didn't extort that. Me. If you make a bet for a thousand dollars, that he has to live up to it. You no, listen, feel bad about that. No, I. Here's the thing: I never would have been able to do it. I never would be able to take a thousand dollars from a colleague in a bet. It's just too much money. Like I just, it's not. I, I never would have been able to do it. I can't scroll down Donovan Bennett's Instagram feed, see his cute ass son and be like, did I take a present from him? Like, no, <laughs> did I, was this, did this come out of his college fund? <laughs> like, there's just no way I would have done it. And I know that that would have hurt the most about telling you not to give me the thousand dollars because I know, and rightfully so, I respect the opinion and I totally agree. I, of course you should have held me accountable for the thousand. I just know in my heart I wouldn't have been able to do it. Hundred dollars? Again, the gmail.com. Send that along immediately. But a thousand? I couldn't have done it. I could not have done it. I think honestly, it would have made this podcast ruined for forever. Like, how would you have ever talked to me again? You're telling me that next week on the podcast, I'm like, so that Raptors game, you're like, so how about you actually taking that thousand dollars from me and my family? Like, of course that would have gone that way. No, because I'm the one not only did I agree to the bet? I'm the one who proposed it. Yeah. So, I mean, if you wouldn't have taken it, like it, the <laughs> transfer would have just stayed there unread, but like that would have made you a sucker. I mean, a, yeah. a bet is a bet is a bet. <laughs> By the way, JD, yeah. you said your email twice now. Are you sure you want this out there for the public? Ah, double down on it. Yeah, just bleep it. Just bleep it throughout <laughs> the thing. Just bleep it. 
Uh, like, here's the thing is that I, I respect, I, you know what? Don't bleep it. Don't bleep it. Because first of all, like anybody could have guessed that it's not exactly <laughs> like the Da Vinci code. Uh, like anybody could have guessed that. And also <laughs> if you want to say, I think people who listen this deep in the podcast actually like the podcast. So if someone's going to send me a message, I think it's going to be pretty nice. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I don't even want to joke about what not to this send me because then you're going to get like, sent that. When people sign up for like products and they have to put in their mm -hmm. email and they don't want to because they don't want to the spam. They just, you know, want whatever they're signing up for. They now have an email that they're just going to enter. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a real email. That's not fake. But you're just going to be getting spam from well, all these rude, companies. Because that, that's like a creative way to screw me over that you just did there. <laughs> like, that's it's not a, that creative, a, actually. <laughs> also, like, that's rude like if you do that to me if i like oh man now that's gonna happen to me so much yeah now we have to bleep it because now everyone would do that because they think it's funny like yeah you ruined it 100 <laughs> percent. that's what everyone's gonna do i trusted you associates until donovan came along and ruined it okay like i tried i tried to give you my email address but again you can always reach us on twitter at jd bunkus maybe that's a clue as to the email <laughs> and uh, at Donovan Bennett and please subscribe to this podcast please follow it on on Spotify and uh, we'll we'll catch you next week